Blueberry farms are businesses, but they are more than that. They are also an integral part of their local community. We leaned heavily on them and, and they were there for us. I mean, we were floored. It brought tears to my eyes how supportive people were and they wanted to do absolutely anything they could to support their local farm. Today, we talked to Brooke Hill about her U-Pick farm in Florida and the role their family farm has played in their local community. This copyrighted podcast is presented by the U.S. Highbush Blueberry Council. The opinions and views shared by those of non-paid guests on the business of blueberries are those of our guests and do not represent the views, positions, or policies of the USHBC. The blueberry industry is like no other, passionate, resilient, and innovative. This podcast is your source for the latest information on the management, markets, research, and technology related to blueberry production. This is the business of blueberries. Here's your host, president of the U.S. Highbush Blueberry Council, Casey Cronquist. Welcome back to another episode of the Business of Blueberries, the only podcast dedicated exclusively to the blueberry industry. We are really lucky in this industry to have such a great product and a great story that customers want to engage with. Many growers are giving customers that chance to engage directly by offering UPIC operations. As the pandemic hit in 2020, we hosted a webinar called Best Practices for UPIC Blueberries, which was very well attended and well received. One of the panelists on the webinar is today's podcast guest, Brooke Hill of Southern Hill Farms in Claremont, Florida. Brooke farms with her in-laws who had a nursery and added 40 acres of blueberries about a decade ago. When Brooke and her husband returned to the farm, they decided to start an agritourism company focused on UPIC. We're going to talk with her about how that's gone for Southern Hill Farms and Brooke's advice to others on who may want to get into the UPIC business. Brooke, welcome to the business of blueberries. Thank you so much for having me, Casey. It's my pleasure to be here today. Well, uh, you did a fantastic job on that webinar back in 2020 when the world stopped and we were dealing with uh, a fair amount of the unknown and the uncertainty. And I'm excited to follow up on that and a deeper dive into kind of what it's been like running a successful UPIC operation there in Florida. So I just thought we could start at the beginning. Maybe you could give us a background again on your business and how you got into the UPIC business of blueberries. Absolutely. So we can start from the beginning and I'll make it pretty brief, but my background was not in agriculture. I did not grow up in an ag family. So I was first introduced to agriculture through my now in-laws when my husband and I, when we first started dating in high school, we both attended Auburn University and wanted to move back to the central Florida area. And my mother and father-in-law said, we have 40 acres on the farm that's currently not being utilized. We'd love your help starting a new crop, utilizing that farmland for something. And so they did a bunch of research together and decided on blueberries. The rest is history. That's how it all kind of started. And they did the first plantings in 2010. I came into the business later on in 2013, actually as their bookkeeper. So their bookkeeper of 25, I think it was 24 years at the time was retiring I had been home with my son after he was born. He had some health issues. So I had been home with him for about a year and a half. And I decided I wanted to get back to work. I really enjoy working. And so they had said, hey, we have this opening within our business. And we really would love to give you the opportunity. I didn't know the first thing about bookkeeping. But I said, sure, I'm willing to learn. And that's how I kind of got started within their, their nothing, business. Nothing about bookkeeping. You weren't. What did you go to college for? What was the degree in Auburn? 
So I got my degree in hospitality management, hotel and restaurant management. So you came on and you joined as the bookkeeper. As the bookkeeper, which, you know, it's funny because all these things now, I'm so glad that I was given all these opportunities and all these experiences because I feel like it really helped me understand the business even from that aspect in terms of what I kind of consider the back end, not just the production side or what's now the agritourism side, but even the basics of what does a PL sheet look like? How do you manage all of this? How do you manage the tax aspect of everything? So I really appreciated that opportunity. It was challenging. It was a lot for me to learn, but I did it. And I'm so thankful that they gave me that opportunity. So it was actually the very first person who brought it up was my husband. He brought up, hey, let's diversify the farm by adding an agritourism piece, letting our community come out, pick their own blueberries. And his thought process was because we do have several other farms in our area of the state that offer that opportunity for guests to come out seasonally and pick blueberries during their blueberry season. We could use it as a diversification tool for our commercial crop. So just like any anybody who's in any type of production ag knows that there you're going to have really great years and you're going to have really challenging years in terms of everything that's out of your control, whether it be labor, whether it be weather issues, whether it be the commercial market. We said, this is a great way to diversify. And we know that our community is always going to need food. And we know that our generation, there's this huge movement of people wanting to get to know where the food is coming from. How is it grown? What is growing locally within their community? So we saw that shift kind of happening within our age group and our demographic. And so we approached my mother and father-in-law, Dave and Lisa, who own Southern Hill Farms. And we said, what do you think? What do you think about starting UPIC? And they were just like, no, absolutely not. We don't want anybody on the farm. They grew up in a different generation of farming. They went through the 80s and 90s and then the 2000s. And so they faced so many challenges within those first couple decades of their career within the ag industry. And so one of the things that they were very hesitant about in terms of allowing the community to come out and be on the farm was they had faced such a different perspective in terms of opening up to the community because of everything that happened with the Lake Apopka Restoration Act, which ultimately closed the family farm that they worked on, which was owned by my mother-in-law's father. That was Long Farms. And that closed in the late 90s and I think 99. And it was reclaimed wetlands. And so what was that act? I mean, for our audience who isn't going to be familiar with the Restoration Act, what 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 was it about that that created this concern and fear of uncertainty? So it was the state, I believe, and this is where I would probably need to be fact-checked because I don't remember for sure, but I think it was the St. John's Water Management District. They were reclaiming all of the wetlands within, I believe it was the entire state, but I know for sure, definitely central Florida. So Lake Apopka was a lake that had been dammed by the Army Corps of Engineers, I think back in the 50s. And so it created all this wonderful muckland that created thousands of acres of farmland all around the banks of the lake. And so there was not just our farm, but thousands of acres of farmland, a bunch of farmers in that community that when all of those wetlands were reclaimed, those farms became eminent domain and the state reclaimed them. So it was a really hard time for them. And there was that fear of, okay, if this does happen again, how can we connect with the community? How can we let them know 
where your neighbors were eating the same food that you're eating, kind of bridging that gap. Let us tell our own story. Let us be the person who's telling our own truth. Don't let that be in the hands of, you know, a third party. And in that case, specifically, it was the media. But yeah, how can we bridge the gap between the food and the farmers and the farmland here within their community? How how can we really reach our end consumer and let them know that we are real people? We are here. We're your neighbors. Our kids go to school with your kids. So really kind of letting them experience the farm as we see it, which so many people in our Central Florida area, if it weren't for farms being open for you pick, they would never have those experiences. Yeah, no doubt. Well, this sets us up for a lot of questions for me about how things are going now. And certainly, you know, has it become true for you in your mind that this connection has been, you know, solidified and made with those folks that are coming? So let's talk more about that. But before we do, let's take a quick break for our crop report. The North American season, as you know, is well underway. And uh, as we inch closer to the summer period, we're welcoming more and more of our regions into our crop report. So here, once again, is your blueberry crop report. It is time for your blueberry crop report, an update on crop conditions and markets from important blueberry growing areas. Today, you'll hear from Elizabeth Carranza in California, Ken Patterson in Florida, Brandon Wade in Georgia, and Neil Moore in North Carolina. This was recorded on May 11th, 2022. My name is Elizabeth Carranza. I am here representing the California Blueberry Commission um, to present the California Weekly Crop Report. This week, we shipped about 2 million pounds fresh. That's our largest volume to date this season. We expect our peak to be sometime towards the end of May, early June. Um, We're running about a week behind our traditional schedule this season, it seems like, so far. Um, We are expecting some warmer temperatures um, here in the Central Valley. I think the South Valley as well this weekend. Um, so that may have an impact on you know, fruit ripening, so that might speed things along quite a bit. At this point, we are keeping our original crop estimate of 75 million pounds total volume, 65 million fresh, and 10 million processed. And that's what we've got for California's crop report this week. This is Ken Patterson, a Florida blueberry grower and chairman of the North American Blueberry Council, giving you the report from Florida. So Florida is almost done for the year. There is still a small amount of volume being harvested in the south and central areas, uh, which should wrap up by the end of this week. North of Interstate 4, some growers are completely finished or have gone to UPIC, even though there is still some machine harvesting on the later varieties. The northern region is 90% or more complete right now. The dry weather and cooler temperatures have helped keep fruit quality good throughout the year. I expect by this time next week, Florida's commercial harvest will be over for the season. The USDA is reporting that a little over 24 million pounds have been shipped so far out of Florida. And that's my crop report for this week. Brandon Wade from Alma, Georgia plant manager for Alma Berry Farms and president of the Georgia Berry Exchange. This week kind of echoes what I said last week, which is the volume is in decline here in the southeast in Alma. Toward the weekend, we should really hit, I guess, more of our low point before we jump into more varieties like Legacy and then getting into some of the earlier late varieties. 
the big varieties, Farthing, Meadowlark, Patricia, Susie Blue, a lot of those are about to have their last pick if they have not been picked already. And that would finish out the bulk of the high bush. To the west of us, it sounds like a similar story. But other than that, we've been blessed with with nice temperatures and uh, reasonably cool nights, which have, in some senses, extended our tail end of the harvest with some fruit still ripening versus uh, normally if we had had our nice warm nights and warm days that I think we would already be finished. Everything's going well, but we should see decreased volumes into the weekend. And at some point next week, the volume should begin to come back up. Hello, this is Neil Moore reporting from North Carolina with their crop report. North Carolina temperatures this past week have been kind of like a yo-yo. We've been highs around 90 until this past Sunday when our high temperatures only reached the upper 50s to around 70 today. With cool nights that have been due to a low pressure system off our coastline. This has been pouring in some cooler weather and windier temperatures into the growing region in North Carolina. Some fields continue to be irrigated and dry conditions expected till Friday when our rain chances increase through the weekend. The cool temps have slowed fruit ripening and there have only been small amounts of fruit harvested to date. Most growers plan to start their harvest next week. No significant volumes of fruit are expected till May 23rd. As the fruit continues to size, more damage from the March freeze we had is becoming apparent. Growers are now estimating a 50 to 60 percent crop. Crop size is down now and we're estimating it to be 23 million fresh and 7 million processed, 30 million total. Thank you. Well, thank you so much to our busy growers and colleagues who take time to participate in these reports. As a reminder, you can go to the new USHBC website where you'll find a lot of data and insights centered around what is happening in our blueberry industry. We've added a lot more features to this dashboard, including USDA shipping price and movement, retail category performance, Nielsen monthly retail sales reports, export reports, and much, much more. So make sure you check that out. Go to ushbc.org forward slash data. Again, that's ushbc dot org forward slash data. Well, let's go back to our featured conversation here with Brooke Hill. Brooke, you know, just talking a little bit there about the setup of what you believed was going to be a successful opportunity to invite people onto the farm and to be able to put their hand towards the opportunity of experiencing what you do. Has it worked? Absolutely. It has absolutely worked. It is just absolutely heartwarming because we get them all the time, but it could be emails, messages, face-to-face conversation with guests that come out to the farm, but they'll come out and say, I've brought my daughter here the first year you opened and she was six months old and now she's nine. And we've gotten pictures of her every season as she's grown. And, you know, we've seen the blueberry bushes grown with her and every spring she asks to I can't wait to go blueberry picking again at Southern Hill Farms. And so it puts everything in perspective and how much of a home away from home places like our farms can be for our community and people that live next door to us. It's obviously come with its own set of challenges, but that's true of any business endeavor you do, whether it be commercial ag or a UPIC agritourism business. But absolutely, I think we have brought the community in to where now I truly think that farming has become 
more normalized to them. They understand it a little bit better because they seasonally can come out. Yeah. They know who you are. Exactly. They know who we are. They see us. They see what we're doing. They see how hard we work and all the things that we offer for the community. So. Well, and I like what feels like an insurance card, uh, but I guess I'm wondering also, has there been an issue where the opportunity to communicate to your consumers, your audience, your, the, you know, you pickers that come by to pick with you each season, have you had to lean into them for support for anything since you launched the you pick operation? Absolutely. So the first thing that comes to mind was probably COVID. That was a hard time for everybody. That was just a really stressful period of life. But it also happened to be that it was right. So the state of Florida had their mandated shutdown happen a week before we were set to open our spring U-Pick season. So we had done months and months worth of preparation and work to get it all ready. That's not even the crop. You know, obviously crop, we've had our year-round maintenance of everything up to that point. But even just the U-Pick operations, getting all of our team on board and getting all the grounds ready to go and, you know, everything that comes along with it. So we really had to lean heavily on our community for support. I think one thing that farmers as a whole are really good at is being resourceful and kind of pivoting when you when you have to pivot because there's always a challenge. There's always something that's going to come up. So we pivoted real fast. <laughs> we moved our entire UPIC operation essentially online. We set up a drive-through system where guests could order all of their produce online, which now it's funny because now it seems so commonplace. But at the time, it was not something, you know, there really wasn't Instacart or any of these other services where, you know, people could shop for food and produce online and then go pick it up somewhere. So there were a lot of challenges with that, but we worked through it. People were very patient and understanding. And so we really leaned heavily in our community for support, understanding, patience, and we got it. I mean, people were so dedicated to, they were just so thankful to, because at that time, also because of all the logistics issues we were facing nationwide, you know, the, even their local grocery stores were completely out of blueberries, out of produce almost as a whole. So people were just so thankful to get fresh produce, fresh fruit. We had blueberries. We also had peaches at that time. I think we had sweet corn. So we leaned heavily on them and and they were there for us. I mean, we were floored. It brought tears to my eyes how supportive people were and they wanted to do absolutely anything they could to support their local farms. Yeah, I hope we don't forget that. I mean, I think this is a great example of, you know, what I think your entire story is representing in terms of just how important the family farm is. And, you know, just why, you know, food and national security issues that could come in the form of a global pandemic, but also could be coming for a number of reasons where, you know, we need to be in a relationship with where we have, you know, some sense where the food is coming from. And I guess the other thing I'd wonder in that example is just how much it's grown for you. So just kind of thinking about the 10 acres to the 40 acres. And I'm, I'm guessing in the beginning that 10 to 40 was really about commercial. It wasn't UPIC at the time. It wasn't until a few years later. So when it became the UPIC operation, is it the UPIC that is the 40 acres or how many acres are we operating that are UPIC? Yes. Yeah, so we don't designate any fields for commercial versus UPIC. They're all kind of operated simultaneously. We do have 40 acres currently. Some of them are in the process of replanting. So not all of them are completely in production. I think we've got about 10 acres right now that are not in production. But yep, absolutely. All of it is we have commercial crews that come in and do our commercial harvest. We also have our UPIC uh, consumers that come out and 
they harvest the days that were open Wednesdays through Sundays are, are what our hours are now for this time of the season. So, and do you have, I mean, I think I understand you, you have more operate, more acreage of blueberries than just the ones that are there in the UPIC operation. So we have that specific, our Southern Hill Farms. It is the 40 acres of blueberries. The whole farm itself is 120 acres. It used to be all nursery besides the blueberries. And we have slowly over the years scaled back on the nursery. And so last February was actually the final harvest for any of our nursery trees. So we have the whole farm now is in some type of ag, whether it be sunflowers, strawberries, peaches, or the 40 acres of blueberries. Well. Is it maybe it's okay if I ask you a little bit about the numbers? I mean, not specifically. I won't. I won't dig there too hard. But just the idea that you talked about diversification as a strategy, even in relationship to your commercial business. And I guess you know, could you kind of give us a sense of how that's actually worked out? The value of having that part of your portfolio, so to speak, in place. And and I think big picture, you've already explained. You know, kind of the big why, but. But I think also people will be listening for, you know, the, the financial why. And so if you could speak a little bit to that from a you picker perspective. Yeah. So diversification for us was the best thing we ever did. And I think however diversification looks for you, no matter what, you can't go wrong with it. Um, as long as it's done with intention, it's well thought out and it makes sense for kind of what your end goal is. So we were very fortunate that I think, well, I don't know that any of us foresaw that it would get to the scale that it was today when we first started the UPIC business, but we were very open to anything. And so we kind of were learning as we went. The diversification, I feel like where we really were able to take it to the next level is where when we realized, okay, we've opened up our blueberry UPIC to our community for three seasons now, and it's just grown. Each season, it grew and grew and grew way more than we ever expected or anticipated. So then we said, okay. And always the feedback was, is why can I only come two months out of the year? I want to come all year long. I want to be able to experience something throughout all the year. So that's why we ultimately said, this is what the community wants. So how can we make this make sense for our farm? So that's when we added the fall festival in October's. We started that in 2016 and then from there, it just kind of one thing led to the other. And we said, OK, this is really what our community wants. So the diversification, I think where the true value for us came in is, is it led the future of the farm in a completely different direction than where we thought we were headed. Well, part of what I think I understand from your situation is you're, you've got a great location and it sounds in terms of where you are with the population base and that sort of thing. So I'm sure there are people listening, well, that's just too far for me or too far for people who would want to come out to me. But is there a commercial operation that you've seen or that you would say is this is just not a fit? Even if you tried to start today, it would probably end badly. If you could give us a sense of like, yeah, it fits when these pieces are in place. It doesn't fit when this is this is the circumstance. Absolutely. So I would say there's not a specific farm or any commercial operation that comes to mind, but I would say just based off of our experience with our consumers, I think what the community loves so much is the fact that it feels like a farm, that it feels like an escape from their day to day, from what their routine is, from what their normal surroundings are. So that's what really gives them the warm, fuzzy feeling when they come out to the farm. It's the novelty of it. It's the experience of something new. 
So I, I would think that the location would probably be the most impactful thing in terms of our guests able to get that experience. You know, what is the overall feeling that they're going to get from coming to your piece of property and coming to your farm? Is it open and inviting or is it in the middle of an urban area with buildings and neighborhoods or, or, and not to say that that would be something that as a challenge you couldn't overcome, it would just be a different experience. So how could you make it make sense for the people and what they're looking for? Well, and, and I think in the area of uh, the idea that location, 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 is there an average distance that your audience is driving from? And I'm sure you've heard where it's just the outlier, but I mean, it, it sounds to me like, it, you know, they're coming, they, they want this experience, you know, but what is it really in terms of the average someone's willing to spend in a car to get to where you're at? Do you know? So I don't know that we know the average. I do know that the majority of people visiting us are coming from our surrounding communities. So that's Winter Garden, that's Claremont, Orlando. South of us, it's like Davenport. But we do have guests pretty regularly. So I would venture to say daily on the weekends that are traveling from as far south as Miami. And what's that distance? So that's about four hours from us. Holy cow. Wow. Yep. So they'll come up and they'll drive, they'll make the drive, they'll spend the whole day and then they'll turn around and drive home or sometimes they'll find areas locally to stay. But we have people from as far south as Miami, but we also have guests that come from Jacksonville area, which that's two hours away from us. So people are definitely willing to drive to get that experience, especially if it's something outside of what they're normally experiencing in their day to day. Wow. That is remarkable. Well, let's take a quick break here for our marketing boost. We'll be right back to this conversation in a moment. But for now, here's USHBC NABC Vice President of Marketing and Communications, Jennifer Sparks. Thanks, Casey. Let's talk about being a grab a boost of blue brand ambassador and what it means for the industry and individual companies. grab a boost of blue is the industry's call to action to motivate consumers to make blueberries a part of their everyday lifestyle. It builds loyalty to and passion for the fruit that has it all. Ease, convenience, and versatility, health benefits, delicious taste, and a beautiful color that adds to the innovation and interest on the plate. Grab a Boost to Blue is designed to complement company brand logos with a collaborative message that the more consumers see and hear will start to engage more passionately with the benefits of the fruit. There are lots of ways to engage with Grab a Boost to Blue. Use the messaging to encourage your audience to grab a boost of blue through content on your website, in social media captions, in newsletters, and other communications. Use the ready-to-use USHBC-created assets, including social graphics, videos, and digital advertising. You can find a wealth of resources at ushbc.org slash boostablue. To truly take advantage of this collaborative positioning, get licensed at ushbc.org slash license, like more than 50 companies already have. Licensees of Grab a Boost of Blue enjoy access to the use of any of the logo versions and the brand style guide to customize your own promotional materials and content with this compelling call to action. And you can use the logo on your container packaging, either directly on the clamshell or on the closure tape, as some brands have begun to do. We love to recognize the companies who are using the logo in marketing and communications. Whether you're using the Boost of Blue language in messaging, using our existing ready-made materials, customizing your own materials with the logo, or capitalizing at point of sale by featuring the logo on your packaging, please show us so we can recognize your company as an industry champion. 
Just email examples of your posts or materials to me at jsparks at blueberry.org. This has been your Marketing Boost. Thank you for your partnership as together we inspire the world to grab a boost to blue. Back to you, Casey. Thanks, Jenny. Now back to today's episode with Brooke Hill. So Brooke, as we kind of round out our conversation here today, I know a lot of people are probably thinking about, okay, this sounds good. I've thought about this for a long time for our operation, diversify or your same experience of where there might be some great connections to make with the community about the value of family farms. There's part of me, of course, you know, that just imagines that we're not really acknowledging just how much work this is week in and week out when, you know, things are going. And and I'm sure, you know, again, like you said, you've got a great team there, but still a lot of, you know, sweat and tears and things that have to go on when you're dealing with a public that wants what they want now. Yes. Yep. Absolutely. It It is definitely not for the faint of heart, but I don't think that anything in agriculture is for the faint of heart. So you hit the nail on the head. I mean, it's been blood, sweat, tears. There's been a lot of really, really challenging things that we've faced. And there's been a lot of really great things that we've been able to accomplish. So it is, it's whole, it's a whole separate beast. I mean, it comes with its own set of challenges, but we love it. Yeah. And I was going to say specifically to you, what are you most proud of? I think for me personally, I would say what I am the most proud of would probably be the fact that we have created a place within our community. It's a place they go to escape. It makes me so happy when I hear them see it or when I see them with their, they've got four generations, all they made their plan and they're all there on the farm. And I think that's so special because it's so different. It's so unique. There's not many things where you can have a grandmother, a great grandmother, along with the three, four generations, you know, that she or he has experienced behind her all in one place, all being able to experience the same thing, especially the seasonality of of it, kind of how I mentioned at the beginning, you know, where families are watching their children grow up year after year on the farm. And they look back at these photos every blueberry season and they see their children and the blueberry bushes growing right beside them. Every year they come, they're a little bit bigger. And so is their, their children. So I think that's what I'm the most proud of is that it's become those memories for our community. In addition to being a source of, you know, the freshest produce that they can find. So I think that is wonderful in itself, but it's also that experience of families and community really getting to embrace this as kind of, like I said, their home away from home a little bit. Absolutely. Well, and I, what I love, and I, I'm, I'm really grateful for this time with you today is just the being the ambassadors, you know, the front line of the consumer experience, really. And, uh, and for our UPIC operations that are out there, and, and we're working, you know, as USHBC to do a lot of promotions to consumers, certainly. But man, I, I just, I almost envy the position you're in to be able to experience that consumer interaction with the product itself, actually picking the blueberries uh, that obviously most of the country uh, doesn't have that same access to. So I just admire what you do. I'm grateful for what you do. I think I speak on behalf of you know our team, certainly here at the USHBC on what you do and, and the part that you represent in getting people their boost of blue. And I just think we're all inspired by that. And I think we could be doing a better job connecting with the UPIC community, the people like yourself who are on the front lines of marketing, basically the freshest opportunity to uh, have their blueberries, but connecting that dot. So we will uh, certainly make sure to put a lot of information about your operation in the show notes. 
people want to learn more about Southern Hill Farm, uh, just visit the show notes for this episode on our website. But we'll put photos and and more there for resources for people to uh, check out your operation and, of course, invite them to contact you directly. So, Brooke, again, it's been a pleasure to have you on the show. I'm really inspired by the conversation we've had today. So I hope our audience is too. And maybe people will point to this episode as uh, the decision they made to launch and, and follow your lead. So thank you, Brooke. Really appreciate you and your family. Yes. And I appreciate you so much for, for doing this podcast and being such a great resource to our industry. So thank you for all that you do. It's my honor to be here. All right. Well, a pleasure. Likewise. I think that's it for episode 98. If there was ever an episode where I was going to say the line I say at every episode to acknowledge what we're doing here, we will be back next week with more innovation, collaboration, and family and hard work right here on the Business of Blueberries. Mm-hmm.